Welcome to Legal Aid New South Wales' early appropriate guilty plea podcast. This is the fifth and final podcast in this series, during which we have been talking about the early appropriate guilty plea reform, also known as the EAGP reform. My name is Rob Hoyles, and joining me today is Kepi Waters and Nick Ashby. We are all from the EAGP implementation team at Legal Aid and are practising solicitors in the Criminal Law Division at Legal Aid. You might have seen us if you've been to one of our 30 or so training sessions around the state. So why are we here? In this series, we hope to give you an explanation of the EAGP reforms. We refer you to relevant legislation and talk about some of the operational aspects of the reform. We'll also give the lawyers tuning in some suggestions and tips for how to deal with the EAGP matters and hope this will answer your reading and understanding of the legislation. In this final podcast, we will be tackling what is perhaps the most important part of the EAGP reforms, and that is the new statutory sentencing discount scheme. So stick with us for the next few minutes as we take you through it. Our starting point should be where to find the relevant law. Kepi. Well, Division 1A of the Crime Sentencing Procedure Act is where you'll find it, Rob. How does the division apply to matters for sentence? Well, there are four important things to remember. Uh, The first one is that the discounts in that division are mandatory. The second one is that the discounts are for the utilitarian value of a guilty plea. Thirdly, the discounts apply to all offences that are going to be dealt with on indictment. And finally, number four, the fixed discounts are 25%, 10% and 5%. So Nick, when we talk about utilitarian value, we are talking about saving the courts and community money and time? Basically, yes, which means that discounts for other factors like remorse and contrition, assistance to authorities and others are all still available and separate from the mandatory discounts. So those other sections of the Crime Sentencing Procedure Act, Section 21 capital A, 22 capital A and Section 23 still apply? They certainly do. They haven't been changed. Okay. We've mentioned before in our previous podcasts that there are some exceptions to the application of these. What are those? Well, the exceptions to the application of the statute discount are three. Commonwealth offences being the first one. Offences committed by a young person if they are charged before they turn 21 or another. And finally, no discount applies when a life sentence is imposed. Okay. So in terms of which discount is given, Kepi, can you explain to us how that's determined? Yes, Rob. Um, Two things. It's by reference to the provisions in the legislation, but also to the negotiations document um, in a particular matter. And the onus rests on us as defence practitioners to establish on the balance of probabilities what discounts should be given to our clients. You use the phrase negotiations document there. What do you mean by that? Well, negotiations document is defined in the legislation. Um, It includes a couple of things, including the case conference certificate, which we've talked about before, um, any late offers attached to that certificate, and any formal offers to plead guilty by an accused that have been served on a prosecutor. Essentially, any offer you make has to be formally recorded, and we've mentioned this before, but basically an offer in an email Um, but that's not in the case conference certificate, really wouldn't cut it and wouldn't get your client the the correct discount. Okay. Are there any other definitions that we should be familiar with when we are looking at these provisions? Uh, Yes, there are actually a few, but it's probably best to talk about these as we actually go through each discount provision. Okay. So, Nick, what's the starting point in terms of those provisions? So, the general rule is set out in Section 25D of the Sentencing Act. Okay. So, why don't you tell us what the general rule is? So, the discounts that we mentioned are 25%, 10% and 5%. You get a discount of 25% if you plead guilty in the local court. 
you'll get 10% if you've been committed for trial, but enter a guilty plea more than 14 days before the first day of your trial. And first day of trial is a defined term. Well, surely we all know what first day of trial means, Nick. Not necessarily. Um, what it means in this context is that it is the first day fixed for trial, or if that day is vacated, the next day fixed for the trial that is not vacated. This means that if your trial is not reached, then you should consider asking the judge for a trial date to be vacated rather than simply having it marked not reached. Okay, so Kepi, can you preserve your client's 10% discount? Yes, because if you don't um, ask for that, um, the trial date to be vacated, then the maximum discount that your client would receive would be 5% because it would actually be less than 14 days before the, the first day of trial listed, even if the trial doesn't actually go ahead the first time it's listed. Hmm. So 14 days becomes very important in this new scheme. But how does, does that apply in areas, particularly regional areas, where the court doesn't sit every day of the week or every week or every month? Well, if you enter a guilty plea after committal, but you comply with your pre-trial notice requirements, then you can still get a 10% discount. Okay, so what does complying with pre-trial notice requirements involve? Well, complying with pre-trial notice requirements is also defined in the legislation. It involves an accused giving a prosecutor notice that they want to accept a, a prosecution offer to plead guilty, or they offer to plead guilty to the offence. And again, it's that 14-day uh, point, at least 14 days before the first day of trial. So this means if you send notice, say, three weeks before your trial date, but actually enter the plea on the first day of district court sittings when the trial is listed, then your client would still be able to get the 10% discount for that plea. Okay. Nick, that seems particularly important for our country cousins to keep in mind. So we've talked about the general rule. Are there any variations to that rule? There certainly are, and this is where matters get particularly complicated in the provisions. Well, we've saved the best bit for you, Nick. Why don't you tell us about those variations? <laughs> well, there are five in total. I'm going to start with the most straightforward and talk through to the most complicated, or I think Kevin might contribute at that point. I'll do my best. The first three I'll talk about really depend on the type and timing of the plea offers. So the first variation is where refused offers are later accepted, fairly self-explanatory perhaps. The second variation is where an offer is made to a reasonably equivalent offence. And the third variation relates to what are categorised as new count offences. New count offences are offences which are the subject of an ex officio indictment or new offences inserted to amend an indictment. So with those variations, do the discount amounts also change? No, the fixed points are still 25%, 10% and 5%. Okay, so you mentioned there were five variations. Kepi, can you tell us about the other two? Well, uh, the other two are where an offence is categorised as being committed with an extreme level of culpability. Um, and also where there's a disputed facts hearing that's resolved against a, an accused. They're both consistent with the common law. Okay, so just to recap then, what does the legislation say about extreme level of culpability? It describes it as where the level of culpability in the commission of an offence is so extreme that the community interest in retribution, punishment, community protection and deterrence can only be met where no discount is given or a discount less than the, the, standard, the standard fixed discount um, would be applied. Um, this was applied in common law um, in the 2014 Court of Criminal Appeal decision of Malat and the Crown, decision number 29. And what about the law in relation to the disputing the facts? Well, this is when the utilitarian 
value of that plea is worn away by an accused running a disputed facts hearing in a higher court and the facts are found against them. Um, this is again consistent with the Court of Criminal Appeal decision from 2011 um, in the Crown and AB, decision number 229. So for these variations, do the 25 10 and 5% discounts apply? No. Um, this is where a sentencing judge actually has discretion and they have discretion to refuse or reduce the 25 10 or 5% discounts that would otherwise apply. The sentencing judge would need to record how they calculated the discount and give reasons for either refusing or reducing the discount. I suppose that's why these have started to be referred to as caps on the discounts rather than mandatory discounts. Nick, can you tell us about um, the first variation you spoke about, refused offers later accepted? Sure. So section 25E subsection 2 applies, but perhaps the best way to explain this is to give a practical example. So say the prosecution certify a charge of aggravated robbery with a backup offence of robbery, and on the first day of trial the Crown Prosecutor indicates that he or she is willing to accept a guilty plea to an offence of robbery simpliciter, your client instructs you that he will plead guilty to the robbery simpliciter in full satisfaction of the indictment, your client then pleads guilty to robbery, uh, and the aggravated robbery is withdrawn. Now, if the client had offered to plead guilty to an offence of robbery simpliciter in the local court, uh, and it was recorded in the case conference certificate, but it was rejected by the Crown Prosecutor, in that instance, because the offer was made in the local court, your client would still be entitled to a discount of 25%. So does that mean that before and after 14-day timing applies here too? Absolutely. So if the offer to plead guilty was made after committal, but 20 days before trial and rejected, the accused would receive a discount of 10%. Any later offer, including the first day of trial, and the discount that applies would be 5%. Okay, so Kepi, perhaps you can tell us about the other, the next variation, which is the variation of a reasonably equivalent offence. Okay, so continue with our practical example of the certified charge of aggravated robbery. Uh, Say your client offers to plead guilty to steal from person in a local court and that offer's recorded in the case conference certificate but rejected by the Crown. If on the first day of trial the Crown prosecutor indicates that uh, she's willing to accept a guilty plea to the offence of robbery and your client says, yep, I'll plead to that robbery in full satisfaction of the indictment. Um, If that's the case and he pleads guilty and the aggravated robbery is withdrawn, because of the fact that your client pleaded, offered to plead guilty to steal from person at the case conference um, and it was recorded, your client would be entitled to a 25% discount because that offer was made in the local court. Even though that offer was made to a different charge? Yes, that's right, because for the purposes of this legislation, steal from person would be probably and very likely considered to be a reasonably equivalent offence to the offence of robbery which your client would be pleading guilty to. So is reasonably equivalent offence defined? It is. uh, And an offence is reasonably equivalent to another if it satisfies two criteria. The first of that criteria is that the facts of the offence are capable of constituting another. And the second uh, is that the maximum penalty for the offence is the same or less than the other offence. Okay, so do the reasonably equivalent offence provisions apply only if you plead guilty? Well, no, not necessarily. The section itself, section 25, capital E, subsection 1, uses the phrase found guilty. So found guilty must also be intended to mean pleading guilty or being convicted after trial? Yes, our team thinks that that must be the case 
because if it didn't include pleading guilty, then someone convicted after running a trial would get a bigger discount than someone who actually pleads guilty. Yeah, and surely that can't be the point of this. That's right. Okay, so um, Nick, new count offences, why don't you tell us about those? Well, if we take the client facing a certified charge of aggravated robbery, uh, and in that case the committal brief of evidence makes no mention of a stolen car, in the week before the trial the Crown produces evidence that the accused stole a car on the same evening. The Crown amends the indictment to add fresh charges and the accused pleads guilty to the fresh charges as soon as practicable. In that, in that example, your client would receive your, a 25% discount on sentence for the new offences. I suppose it's interesting to think about what would be considered as soon as practicable. Yes. Um, it's determined by the sentencing judge by looking at whether the accused had a reasonable opportunity to get legal advice and give their lawyers some instructions. But this is where the new count offences get a bit tricky. Can you explain why that is? Well, there's a proviso in section 25 capital D subsection 4. It sets out two circumstances where an accused can't get a 25% discount even if they plead guilty to a new can offence as soon as practicable. Okay, what's the first situation when that can happen? Well, if the facts or the evidence that establish the elements of the new offence are substantially the same as those contained in the original brief of evidence and the penalty for the new offence is the same as or less than the original offence. This means that an accused can lose 25% discount by not offering to plead guilty to any offence available on the brief of evidence in the local court, even if that offence is not offered by the prosecution to the accused until a much later time. Well, that really, I think, puts in context why making reasonable offers earlier and ensuring they're recorded on the case conferencing certificate is so important. That's right. Okay. Um, Kepi, what about the second set of circumstances in which reasonably... Oh, in which reasonable offers can be made, uh, new count offences can be made. If a prosecutor offered the new offence to an accused in the original proceedings in the local court, for example, and the offer was recorded in the case conference certificate, and but the accused refused that offer, um, that's where um, they couldn't receive a 25% discount. So talking about our hypothetical aggravated robbery client, if they were offered a charge of take-and-drive conveyance but they rejected it in the local court, um, then the, and if the indictment was later amended to include that charge, the maximum discount they would receive would be 10%, even if they entered the guilty plea as soon as practicable. Okay, that sounds great. I suppose if we don't quite understand that from the podcast, we should all go and read the legislation. Absolutely. Okay, so in our last podcast, we talked about fitness and touched on what sentencing discounts apply in circumstances where people may be unfit and then get found fit. Let's go over those again, shall we, Nick? Sure. Okay, so what are the relevant discounts for an accused who has been found fit after being committed for trial on the issue of fitness? Okay, so if the matter is not remitted to the local court, the discount is determined by the timing of the plea. If the plea is entered to the certified charge as soon as practicable after they were found fit, then they would still receive a 25% discount. There's that phrase, as soon as practicable, again. Yes, that's right. So the sentencing judge would look at whether the accused had a reasonable opportunity to speak to their lawyer, get some advice and give some instructions. So, Kepi, if it wasn't entered as soon as practicable? Well, the discount would go down. It would be down to 10%, so long as they entered the plea at least 14 days before trial or complied with their pre-trial notice requirements, which we talked about earlier, and then pleaded guilty at the first chance they got. In any other circumstances, the discount would be only 5%. Okay, well, is it fair to say that these discounts are the main reason why 
defence practitioners need to make all the reasonable offers they can in the local court. Yes, that's right. Offers before and after charge certification, as well as offers during and after a case conference, can all secure a 25% discount for a client in the different circumstances we've talked about. Okay, great. Well, we've come to the end of our discussion about the AAGP Sentencing Discount Scheme. If you're looking for more information about the AAGP reform, please head to our Legal Aid New South Wales website. There's a tab for lawyers and you'll find a section entitled Resources and Tools. Look for EAGP, which will take you to our webpage with links to the legislation, copies of the practice notes, the brief protocol and the Commonwealth DPP guidelines. You'll also find our EAGP guide for practitioners. There will be more information to come as we move into the end of charge certification and the case conferencing stages of the reform. Yes, there's going to be a session at the Legal Aid New South Wales Criminal Law Conference in early August covering EAGP developments and there will be a panel of speakers including Deputy Senior Public Defender Richard Wilson. Rob, you'll be there and our colleague Ron Franken will also be there and I'll be joining the panel as well. And also the Best Practice Guide for Case Conferencing um, will be available shortly and as soon as it is it will be uploaded to our EAGP webpage. And the Public Defenders Legal Aid and the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions um, are working on an alternative plea options document um, to assist with helping practitioners when it comes to making offers and considering reasonably equivalent offences. That's right. Legal Aid will continue to distribute this and any other information about the EAGP reforms, so you need to keep an eye on our EAGP webpage. Finally, thank you for listening to all of our EAGP podcasts. This was the fifth and final podcast in our EAGP series. Links to all of the podcasts are available on our EAGP webpage and we hope that you find them useful. If you'd like to provide us any feedback or provide us any context in relation to the reform, you can contact our team at eagpreform at legalaid.nsw.gov.au. Thank you for listening.